Uh, you'll be hearing more from them on December the 18th. Be looking forward to that. We have a Christmas musical that morning. I want to encourage you to invite folks to be here that morning and fill this place up for that. So thank you, choir, for your hard work to get ready for that. We do want to welcome all of our guests that are with us today. Well, all of us that are here and our guests that are with us. If you would take one of the care cards uh, and fill in your information, we'd like to try to send you something from our church. And on the back of the care card for everyone is a place to put prayer needs. If you have a prayer request, uh, we get those and pray for you. And so please take a moment to fill those in. As you leave this morning, you can place those in the boxes on the round table in the foyer. But thank you again uh, for being with us in worship today. A lot of announcements, a lot of things happening here at Christmas time. Uh, tonight there is a Christmas party, churchwide Christmas party at 5. It is a ticketed event. Uh, and we want to ask folks that come to wear your ugliest sweater. Uh, Robbie Jones and I said that all of our sweaters are ugly, so we're a shoe in maybe for the prize. But anyway, um, we will have some judging on that and give a reward for the ugliest sweater. That's kind of a weird award. But anyway, um, they'll get something for the ugliest sweater tonight. That begins at 5, uh, and again, it's a ticketed event, so if you can bring those, that'd be great. Poinsettias will be placed in the Worship Center on December 18th. If you'd like to purchase one in honor or in memory of someone, go by the information desk and fill out a form for those. Uh, those will be available then. They're $10 each. And then our ladies' Christmas event called Broken Vessels is this Thursday at 6.30 in the core. Today's the last day to get tickets for that. Go by the information desk uh, to sign up for that. And then next Sunday is our Lottie Moon March for Missions. Every year we have a special offering for our international mi uh, missionaries. All of the money we take up for that offering goes to those missionaries. And this year we've set the highest goal that I know of since I've been here for our church at $100,000. And I think that's a, a great goal. Last year we, we went a little bit over that. But be praying about what God would have you to give towards international missions. And again, all of that goes to our missionaries. And then our Angel Tree Outreach to Needy Families is still open. If you'll go by the core lobby or the worship center lobby, uh, someone will be there to help you. Or there's some instruction cards that are located there to help you. Gifts need to be returned by next Sunday. And so that's all, again, on the instruction sheets. And then we have a men's ministry Christmas project. Uh, you can bring non-perishable food items. And also, if, man, if you can give $10 to help, that would be great uh, to help with that project. We'll be delivering those food boxes and other items this Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. If you'll meet down toward the core area, uh, you'll see our men picking up different items to deliver. If you can come help with that, that's always a blessing to do that. And then our Grief Share Ministry will have a seminar this Tuesday, one at 9.30 in the morning, and then another one again at 6.30 in the evening called Surviving the Holidays. Uh, registration is five, $5, and you can sign up at the special table here in the lobby in the worship center. Again, a lot of things happening, and so we want to be, you to be aware of those. If you don't have our online uh, email blast that goes out on Friday, please contact the office, and we can get you on that list uh, to take care of that. So please do that because those announcements come out each and every week. We do have one matter of business to take care of. Last Sunday at 4 o'clock, we had a listening session to discuss our church uh, proposed 2023 budget, and that was last Sunday. And then so this morning, we have a vote without discussion by ballot. And so we want to ask all of our members, if you're a church member, if you would please stand at this time, and our ushers are coming with a ballot. So if you'll stand.
once you receive a ballot, you can have a seat, and there should be pens there close by. Uh, you can vote on those, and then we'll pass those toward the middle, uh, the upstairs middle balcony section. If you guys will pass it to this side, that'd be great. But everybody else, if you'll pass that toward the middle, and then our ushers will collect those. Let's take just a moment to do that. We still have a bunch in the balconies. We're waiting on them to receive ballots. If you've already voted, and you can pass that toward the center if you're on the floor, and ushers will come back and collect those. just a few more moments as they're collecting those let me read a scripture to you out of Colossians chapter 3 verse, verses 15 through 17 it says and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. If you'll draw your attention to the screens at this time for an Advent video. The night the angels came, announcing peace to those with whom God is pleased. They couldn't have broken the quiet land in a more unexpected way. Hosts of angels lighting up the sky, trumpeting the good news, shattering the silence with praise and glory to God. How else would a Messiah be announced? Except instead of riding the white horse, dressed in royal robes, we found you on the outskirts of a crowded town. Given the last remnant of space, wrapped in a leftover cloth. And the least regarded citizens, lowly shepherds gathered under a dark sky, were charged with the glorious announcement of your birth. 
This is the peace that passes all understanding. The promise of a different kind of life offered with shalom, freely offered, to build bridges between our lives and your kingdom in the most extraordinary ways. Amen.
Savior. 
seated. Amen. Turn with me to Isaiah, if you would please. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, looking this morning at the subject matter, God's answer for man's darkness. I'm going to take a page out of an article I read about three weeks ago. Uh, said, pastors, as you get into the Christmas holidays... You might be in a book series, you might be in a series on a subject matter, but please stop during Christmas with all of the uh, tent pegs, all the foundation points that we're losing in society today. When people go to church during Christmas, they need to hear the stories about Christmas. They need to hear the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah, and they need to hear about Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus and the wise men and, and uh, the shepherds. So please, take a time out on your series, whatever you're doing, and uh, cover those precious themes that people uh, come to church wanting to hear more about uh, on Christmas. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be looking the next few weeks at uh, the prophecy here in Isaiah. Also, wise men and shepherds will be covering all those subject uh, matters. So stand with me for the reading of God's word, please. Isaiah chapter 9, be, uh, beginning in verse 1 and reading down through verse 7. Perhaps my favorite text when we come to this season of the year. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them... Has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his uh, shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of, Prince of Peace. <clears throat> of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we thank you for this wonderful prophecy given centuries and centuries before you sent your son. And what powerful words these are. 
the type of Savior you would be giving to mankind. Father, I pray that this Christmas season, we would set aside time and make certain in our individual lives, in our families, in our church, that we are seeking the Lord Jesus. Draw us close to Him. He's the vine, we're the branches. We can do nothing apart from Him. We have no eternal life apart from Him. Lord, this Christmas season, I pray all over this country that people would turn to Christ. That they would see that He indeed is the answer. Your answer, God, to man's darkness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you recall the great northeast blackout of 2003. It's a blackout that plunged the northeastern United States, the Midwest, and even parts of Canada into darkness. 45 million citizens in the U.S. and 10 million in Canada were instantly in the dark. Making it the second most severe blackout at any time in history. Trains and subways came to a standstill. Pumps went out in water pumping stations. So some areas lost clean drinking water. Gas stations couldn't pump gasoline. Cell phone communications went down in many areas. Airports were closed. Almost all of New York State came to a standstill and Governor George Pataki at the time declared a state of emergency. People were trapped in elevators and subways all across uh, the Northeast. Air traffic was at a standstill and delayed all across America and any place in the world that, that our airports feed into. Governor Bill Richardson of New Mexico, who formerly headed the Department of Energy, said that America was a superpower with a third world power grid. And in Europe, they picked up on his statements. They began laughing at America and touting how such an outage could never happen in Europe. Because their power grid was so much more sophisticated and stable than ours. Six weeks later, it happened to them. Darkness. If you want to find other kinds of darkness in the world today, you don't have to weary yourself looking very hard. Just about any click of the computer mouse will take you to some sector of the world where there is growing chaos on the horizon. Collins English Dictionary, published by HarperCollins, has just coined its new word of the year for 2022. You want to hear what it is? It's the word permacrisis. They define it as a period of extended instability, 
and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. Permacrisis. You live in an age, and I live in an age of permacrisis. Now, as we look at Isaiah 9 today, we need to understand that our passage has for its context a backdrop of darkness. Spiritual, moral, political darkness. But folks, what we also see in these seven verses is that darkness doesn't have the final say. And we need to realize that today. For the believer, darkness does not have the final say. Aren't you glad of that? We have a Savior. And not only has this Savior defeated sin in the grave and reconciled us to a holy God, but He's also preparing a place for us. Darkness will be replaced by God's glorious light. And folks, that is the distinctive hope you and I have as Christians. Now this morning I want us to look at the Savior's birth, the Savior's character, and the Savior's name. And what we're going to see is that He is sufficient. In fact, He is more than sufficient for all of our needs. First of all, I want you to notice with me the Savior's birth. Look again at verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 740 years ahead of time, what is Isaiah doing? Isaiah is giving a prophecy about the birth of the Messiah. The promise was of a child, a son, who would be the righteous ruler of his people and he would establish a kingdom that would have no end. Now folks, while these were very dark days for the Hebrew people, God was going to one day send them a son and this son would be the answer to man's darkness. You see, Israel had been led by one bad leader after another since the days of Jeroboam and since the days of the divided kingdom. Now, you're not going to understand this prophecy in Isaiah if you don't understand a bit of the history that lies behind it. We need to understand the historical context of this passage. Uh, You may remember that after the death of Solomon, his son Rehoboam came to the throne. And Rehoboam promised the people that he was going to be a more harsh leader than his dad Solomon ever had time to be. He was going to be more oppressive on them. He was going to take more of their money in taxes. And he was just going to be a more difficult leader for them. He was warning them of that. And so what did Jeroboam do? You you may remember the character by the name of Jeroboam. He took the ten tribes to the north, the ten northernmost tribes of Israel... And he divided off from Judah, the southern two tribes. It was 930 B.C. That was the year. And so what we have now is one nation, Israel, that's now split into two. 
There's Israel or the northern kingdom. And again, that will be ten tribes. And then there will be the southern kingdom or Judah. And so the united kingdom has now become the divided kingdom. And what began for Israel, for the ten, tribe, uh, ten tribes that split off, uh, was a period of failure and disappointment and idolatry. Uh, we need to understand what all was going on in terms of the apostasy. When, when Jeroboam took these ten tribes and split off from Judah... He didn't want the people going back down to the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be in the, in the southern kingdom. He didn't want them going back down to the temple and offering sacrifices and worshiping there because he was concerned if they did that, their hearts might gravitate back down towards Rehoboam. And so Jeroboam did a very foolish thing. He set up two different altars, one in the northern part of Israel and one in the southern part of Israel, 10 miles north of Jerusalem. And he set up on these two altars of all things idols that consisted of golden calves. And he told the people to worship these golden calves that these were now their gods. And so the people in the north entered a period of time of just being steeped in idolatry. Idolatry and disobedience to God. And they were oftentimes trying to worship Jehovah God and all of these idols at the same time. And they did this decade after decade after decade. And God finally got tired of it all. And so what did God do? God raised up the Assyrians to be a rod of judgment against the northern kingdom or Israel. The Assyrians were a very ruthless people. They've been described as the Nazis of the 8th century B.C. Folks, they were so violent against their enemies that sometimes entire villages and cities, when they knew they were about to be captured by the Assyrians, they would all collectively together commit suicide. And they would do this because the Assyrians were so ruthless and they would torture uh, their enemies in just heinous ways before they put them to death. And so populations didn't want to be subject to, to being taken over by the Assyrians. And so they would just take their own lives. Folks, it is no wonder that when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and, and preach against the Assyrians, uh, Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah went the other direction. He would have had the mentality, God, don't save the Assyrians. You need to come down and you just need to zap them. Do away with them. These are evil, wicked people. These were basically ancient terrorists. And so you can imagine for a country like Assyria to be on the rise. Israel and Judah both were very much afraid. Ahaz was the king of Judah, again the two kingdoms in the south. And Pekah, by this time, was the king of Israel, the ten tribes to the north. And Pekah and Rezin 
Rezin was the king of Syria, immediately to the north of Israel. They get together and they decide that with Assyria on the move, they need to come together, Israel and Syria, and they need to form an alliance together. And they want Ahaz in Judah to join in this alliance, so it'll be Judah, Israel, and Syria standing against Assyria. And Assyria was led by a name, uh, a guy by the name of Tiglath Pileser. How would you like a name like that? Tiglath Pileser. No wonder the guy was so angry and, and, and wanted to fight against the world. And so they thought they would join together Israel, Judah, and Syria against Tiglath Pileser, and they would maybe be able to withstand against the Assyrians. Well, God didn't want Ahaz and the southern kingdom to join in this uh, alliance. God told Ahaz, you just sit still and wait and trust me. Just just trust me. Because I'm going to take care of all this, God said. I'm going to ultimately take care of the Assyrians... And you just don't need to worry about it. Just be patient and trust me. You know, some of the hardest assignments that we have at times is to just wait on God and trust God. Wouldn't you agree with that? Sometimes you're going through a trial or a hardship and, and you know, you kind of want to come up with some solutions and some ideas of your own. And, and through prayer and study of the Bible, you just feel like God is telling you, no, just, just wait, just wait. You feel like God's saying, I'm going to take care of this in time. You don't need to do anything about it. Just wait. And that can be very hard to do. Well, it was hard for Ahaz to do. Ahaz decided he didn't want to wait on God. He had a plan of his own. And so he takes matters into his own hands. And he contacts Tiglath-Pileser, meets with him. And says, hey, Israel and Syria want me to join Judah with them in this alliance against you. I need your help. What an ignorant thing to do. But that's what Ahaz did. And then some years later, the years click, click by. And under a different Assyrian king by the name of Sargon... The Assyrians came in and destroyed Israel, the ten tribes to the north. Now you say, why are you giving us all of this history? Because I want you to understand something as you look at verse 1 in Isaiah 9. The northern regions of Israel, the land of Naphtali and the land of Zebulun mentioned here in verse 1 were the regions that were particularly hard hit by the Assyrians. This was the area up around Galilee. And in 2 Kings 17, we're told that for three years the Assyrians laid siege to Israel. And then they captured Israel. They took the Jews from Israel, from the ten tribes. They took them captive and carried them away to Assyria. And then later on in that same chapter, we're told that the Assyrian king captured other peoples from other lands, moved them into Israel, where the 
ten tribes had been. And so Israel ended up being this kind of conglomerate, this, this mix and blend of peoples of different nations. There were still some Jews living in the northern kingdom that had not been carted away to Assyria. And all these foreigners move in with them from other nations that served other gods. And they just became this blend of people that were so syncretistic. They were trying to worship God on the one hand and worship all of these idols of the nations on the other hand. Folks, they were messed up people religiously. Even by the day of Jesus, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. That's who the Samaritans were. Sometimes Israel was referred to as Samaria. And the Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they were this blend of people with all different kinds of religions mixed in. And so the Jews didn't view them as pure Jews. Well, what happened in that area of Israel? They ended up in this religious darkness. They ended up in idolatry. They were in deeper darkness than they had ever been in before. And so 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah dips his pen in inspired ink and he prophesies that this very area will see the light of God one day. Folks, I want you to think about this prophecy coming to pass. Just time out. Just Let's take a time out a minute and remember what's going on here. We've been going through the gospel of Mark lately. And where have we seen Jesus carrying out most of his earthly ministry thus far in the gospels? It's been in this northern region of Naphtali and Zebulun up around Galilee. This was the area that was steeped in deep darkness and idolatry. And here's what God is doing. When God sends his son, the Messiah, into the world, where does he send him? He sends him into the area of the deepest darkness in the land. Isn't that great? Jesus didn't go just sit down in the temple and say, Hey, y'all want to come and listen to me teach? You want to see me do miracles? Jesus went to this region of Galilee that had known nothing but political and spiritual corruption and darkness for centuries. And that's where Jesus began his ministry. Jesus was the answer to this area that was steeped in idolatry and darkness. Folks, who is the answer for our world today? I mean, we're a world today in a mess. We're in a world uh, much like what they were going through in, in Naphtali and Zebulun in that area. We're, we're a world that is just filled with religious confusion. There's all kinds of idolatry in the world. I mean, we have our own kind of idols today. We may not make idols of stone and wood, but we have idols nonetheless and who's the answer for the kind of world that we live in today? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to man's darkness. And I want to say to you this morning, Jesus is the answer to your darkness. 
If you've come here this morning without a relationship uh, to Christ and you're searching for God and you're, you just feel like you're groping in the darkness, guess what? Jesus is the answer to that darkness you're going through. You need to turn to him. Not only is he the answer for man's darkness, but he's also the answer to man's burdens. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. Verse 4 here speaks of, of burdens. They had burdens on their back. They had religious burdens. I mean, the scribes and Pharisees had put all kinds of rules and regulations on them that nobody could carry out in their day-to-day lives. So they had all of these burdens spiritually that they couldn't keep. And they had political burdens as well. They had always, as part of their history, had political burdens. Egypt had had them in bondage in the days of Moses. In Isaiah's day... They came under the bondage of the Assyrians. In Jeremiah's day, the southern kingdom, Judah, came under the bondage and the burden of Babylon. And then even in the day of Jesus, the Jews were under the burden of Rome. And so all through their history, the Jews had been burdened by by political oppressors. Isaiah here mentions as an example of their burdens, Midian. They were oppressed likewise by the Midianites. We read about that in the book of Judges. Under Gideon, God delivered them from the burden of Midian. And what Isaiah is saying here is that through the Messiah, God is going to do that again for his people. He is going to be the answer for all of your burdens. Not only all of your darkness... But your burdens. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you're in darkness, he's the light of the world. If you have burdens, Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble and will give you rest. Whether it's darkness or whether it's burdens and trials and tribulations, Jesus is the answer. And the greatest burden of all that he'll break is the burden of sin. Even now, before Jesus comes back in his second return, uh, he can help us with our burdens. He may not take all of your burdens away, but he'll give you the strength to walk through your burdens and make it to the other side. Jesus is the answer to man's darkness and his burdens. It's no wonder we celebrate Jesus at Christmas. He's the only one that can provide the help that we ultimately need. He's the only one who can reconcile us to a holy God. He's the only one that can save us from our sin and be light to our soul and bring joy in our lives. He's the only one. Well, secondly, I want you to notice with me the Savior's character there in verse 6. 
It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Actually, there's two thoughts here. One phrase tells us that he's the son of man. The other phrase tells us he's the son of God. He's the child that was born. In other words, this child, God's Messiah, is going to be fully human. He's going to be fully God, as we'll see in a moment, but he's fully God. God didn't send an angel, he didn't send a ghost, he didn't send a phantom, he sent a man. How did that happen? Isaiah 7.14 talks about that. A virgin would be found with child by the Holy Spirit. Folks, he was born of a virgin, that's important. He shares in our humanity, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit so as not to share in our sin nature. This child, the Son of God, was to be flesh and bone. But not only would he be born, but he's also the Son who is given, meaning he's fully divine. I want you to understand when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was not his beginning. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, when time and creation began, there was the Word already existing, never having been created. He was eternal God, and He was with God, and He was God, John tells us. And He was called the Logos by John. What is Logos? A word. What does a word do? A word communicates. Jesus came to communicate to mankind what God is truly like. As humanity, Jesus came to identify with us. But as deity, he came to redeem and to reveal. And so folks, what I'm saying is the distinctions in verse 6 about a son born to us and a son given to us, those distinctions are very important. Born humanity, given deity. And I want you to think of how humbly he came. It's amazing how we think of God doing things. I mean, we would, have, we would have sent a prince or a king into a castle somewhere. But, I mean, look at how God did things. He came so humbly. He used a couple, Joseph and Mary. Humble beginnings. When the President of the United States travels by car, the presidential motorcade is both the safest and the riskiest convoy on the planet. It's basically a rolling armored White House. It's complete with its own response force, its own communications office, its own press corps, and even its own medical facilities. There is the route car and the pilot car which travel ahead of the motorcade checking the route and providing guidance. There are sweepers consisting of motorcycles and patrol cars clearing the way. There's the presidential limousine. It's a very heavy Cadillac and it's, it's an armored vehicle. 
It's called the Beast. And it's outfitted with top-level ballistic armoring, night vision and infrared driving systems, a sealed cabin with an independent air supply capable of enduring a nuclear, biological, or chemical attack so that the President of the United States can have clean air. And it even has a supply of the President's own blood type. Then there's an identical limousine as a decoy. Then there's additional vehicles. Uh, there's security SUVs filled with heavily armed agents. There's electronic countermeasures so they can jam uh, any targeted attacks. And all of this comes at a price tag to taxpayers annually of $350 million dollars simply to move the President of the United States around the nation. $2,614 a minute is what it cost us. And yet when the Son of God came, when the Son was born, when the Son was given, He came humbly. He came humbly. One could add that it was the costliest trip in history since though he was rich, he became poor. He left the glory and worship of heaven to be born in a stable. So it was costly in its own way. And it was risky too to him because he came to give his life. But he came humbly. Not in great pomp and circumstance the way we do things today. Third thing I want you to see, the Savior's name. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We all know that names are very important. Names say something about people. It's no wonder that parents agonize over names that they're going to give to their, their daughters and their sons. They agonize over this. And folks, names in the Bible are important too. And especially the names of God are important in the Bible. In Genesis 1, we learn that God is the mighty God of creation. And we find the name of him there, Elohim. In Genesis 22, when God provides for Abraham the ram in the thicket, Abraham names God Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. David, King David, referred to the Lord as Jehovah Roy, the Lord who is my shepherd. You continue reading through the Bible and you see other names given to God. Because there's not a single name that can capture the richness and fullness of who he is. And look at the names that Isaiah says would be given to the Son of God. First of all, there's the name Wonderful Counselor. Some translations break this into two. But folks, there's no comma in the Hebrew. There's a linkage between the two. But let's think of the different aspects. His name is wonderful. It speaks of somebody who will be out of the ordinary. Jesus will be unique. He will be different. He'll be like us, but he's unique. He's different. He's the marvelous one. When Moses stood before Pharaoh, he said, uh, Be it according to your word, Pharaoh, that thou mayest know that there is none other like unto the Lord our God. He is wonderful. 
In his birth, he was wonderful. In his life, he was wonderful. In his death, he was wonderful. In his resurrection, he was wonderful. In his ascension to the Father, he was wonderful. And he'll be wonderful when he comes for his bride, the church. And he's the wonderful counselor. Jesus comes alongside of you and me to give us counsel and wisdom. He's wisdom from God. He will never lead you astray. His counsel is always perfect because He is perfect. You turn to the counsel of your family and friends and their counsel can let you down. Their counsel can lead you astray because we're just sinful men and women. But His counsel is perfect. It will never fail you. And how do we get his counsel? From simply opening his word and reading it. His counsel is available to us every time we open the Bible to read it. He is the wonderful counselor. Is that what you need this Christmas season? Maybe you're going through something and even the people on the pew seated beside you right now have no idea maybe what you're going through or what your family is going through. And you're searching for answers. You're searching for wisdom. I want to say to you, you, you'll find it in Jesus. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. This is the name El Gabor. Deuteronomy 10, 17. Moses applies it to God. He says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He's the God who not only can give you wisdom, he's the one who can empower you to accomplish whatever he wishes you to accomplish. He's the mighty God. We see him speaking in scripture and it is done. God said, let there be light and there was light. God separated the waters below from the waters above. He spoke it and it was done. He spoke the sun, the moon, the stars, all the planets and everything else into creation. It was done. We've seen going through the gospel of Mark. The the disciples out on a storm. They wake Jesus up. They're scared to death. And Jesus simply looks out there across the Sea of Galilee and says, Peace, be still. And the winds and the waves, they calm down. And the disciples said, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. You hear things like mighty God and you think, oh, he's a God who there's no way he could ever be approachable. But he is approachable. He's the everlasting father. What does a father do? He provides for his children. He protects his children. How many need the love of a father this Christmas? He's the everlasting father. He won't die. He won't desert you. He'll never leave you. You won't be an orphan. Some of you may be lost a father early in life. Or maybe you don't have a good relationship with your father now. And you know you need to work on that. He's the everlasting father. He'll never die. He'll never leave you. You're not an orphan if you're his child. He's the everlasting father. 
The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1 says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. He's the everlasting Father. Likewise, he's the Prince of Peace. The Hebrew is Shar Shalom. The one who removes all peace-disturbing factors in your life and secures peace. What's disturbing your peace today? Is it something related to your family? Related to your children or grandchildren? Maybe your work? Possibly your health? Something is disturbing your peace this Christmas season. He's the Prince of Peace. According to the New York Times, Americans are among the most anxious people on the face of the earth. In fact, in a recent study, they found out that Americans are even more anxious than citizens in countries like Nigeria, Lebanon, and even the U Ukraine. Americans are among some of the most anxious people on the face of the earth. Time Magazine did an article on this as well. And they said the kids are not all right. Today's kids, the article said, are the post 9-11 generation. They've been raised during days of economic and national insecurity. They've never known a time without the fear of terrorism and school shootings. And added into this are all the pressures they face of social media. One ex expert went on to claim, if you wanted to create an environment to churn out anxious people... Congratulations, we've done it. We're an anxious people. So many people today are in circumstances, they're looking for peace that they'll never find outside of Jesus. They'll never find peace until they know the one who is the Prince of Peace. Oh sure, you may, you may find temporary peace in this or that, but it won't last. But the peace Jesus can give to you will last. He's the Prince of Peace. And remember what he said to his disciples. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Folks the peace in this world. Can be shattered. By an illness. An accident. A bullet. A bomb, even the weather. But the peace Jesus gives you goes on and on and on. And you know, the world is looking for political peace. And, and so many are looking for personal peace. Only Christ can do this. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so we see here his birth, his character, and his name. And I want you to notice a postscript, if you will, in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. His rule is going to be distinctive. 
so distinctive. On the throne of David, Isaiah says, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Folks, he not only came to reveal the Father, to redeem us, but he also came to be sovereign Lord and to reign because that's who he is. The government will be on his shoulder. You know, today polls are at an all-time low on people who trust leaders like presidents and, and in our own country, the president and Congress. There's, there's a lack of confidence in government today. But his government will be different from all others. And when he comes, he won't be riding on a donkey or an elephant. He'll come riding on the clouds to establish a kingdom where justice will roll down like mighty waters. It'll be a kingdom where faith becomes sight, where wrong is made right, and where darkness is turned to light. And it will be an everlasting kingdom without end. And when Isaiah says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, it's like God is saying, I'm going to get this done. And there is nothing in this world that can stop him. Amen? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let me give you some concluding takeaways. Number one, into your personal darkness. I want you to know that Jesus can shine light as you've never known light. He can bring his light and his joy to your life. But you've got to come to him. Is there somebody this morning, the Lord's been knocking on the door of your heart, for maybe weeks or months, you've got to come to him. And he'll shine light on your life and on your pathway. Secondly, Jesus can handle all of your hurts and pains and give you hope and direction. He's the wonderful counselor. What do you need to do? You need to lean into his wisdom. You need to read his word in this coming year. His word is the wisdom for the ages. Read it and ask him to give you wisdom as you read it. James 1.5 says, If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally without finding fault. Read his word, ask for his wisdom and his counsel. Thirdly, he can give you strength beyond anything you have with which to face your life. Maybe this morning you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Folks, I want to say to you, he specializes in helping people just like you. He's the mighty God. Fourth, you don't have to be alone this Christmas season. He's the Father who never leaves you. Take comfort in that. He's the everlasting Father. Fifth, he can calm the worries and troubles of your life. What troubles do you have? What keeps you awake at night? He's the Prince of Peace. And most of all, He can save you. 
The Bible says his name shall be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. But again, you've got to come to him. He's changed history. He can surely change you. Folks, this Christmas season, don't let the chaos of the holidays keep you from focusing on the one who it, whom it's all about. You know, Satan knows he can't prevent Jesus from coming to the earth and saving us because Jesus has already done that in the, in the incarnation. I think what the enemy wants to do now, since he knows he's already lost that battle, is to try to keep you and me from focusing our hearts and minds on Jesus. Don't let him win that victory. Maybe you need to print off Isaiah 9-6. Print it off and put it somewhere where you can read it every single day. And I want you to meditate on these names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And set aside 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes every day going through this holiday season where you focus on no one else but Jesus. He's the answer for your darkness. He's the answer for your burdens. He's the answer, period. Anything you face in life, good, bad, or ugly, he's the answer for it. And again, I'm not suggesting he's going to take all your problems away right now. He'll give you the strength and wisdom to bear it. And guess what? One of these days, he is going to take all the bad stuff away. When we're in that place where there is everlasting light. Father, we thank you for this prophecy. There's so much in the world today that does come bombarding in and disturbing tranquility in life, disturbing peace, causing trouble. So much confusion in the world today. Spiritual confusion, political confusion. God is the body of Christ. Help us. To keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the one we need to focus on. He's the one we need to draw near to. In James 4 we find the words, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Lord, may this Christmas season be a time that we draw near to you. Lord, you are more than sufficient for every need of every person in this room. Every person on planet earth, in fact, you're more than sufficient. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to people where they are. Bring peace to their hearts and minds. And work in them as only you can work. And may we say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.